0: Fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, USCFootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham.
1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to another edition of a little internet radio show we like to call the peristyle podcast each week we start the peristyle podcast talking to the coach harvey hyde this week is no different coach how are you doing today
2: brian i'm going, doing great buddy it's a beautiful day and uh, football season and the trojans are four and one and going to washington state and uh things are on a roll a few players injured and so on but uh that's part of the game, and uh, whatever you whatever you want to talk about today, let's
1: do it. All right, that sounds great. Everyone out there, if you have a question for us, just drop us an email. Podcast at USCfootball.com is our email address. Today we're going to talk a lot of good stuff about the Arizona State shutout victory, and uh, some people, even some of the players seem to be treating that as a loss, which is kind of interesting. We'll talk to USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Wyke a little bit later on in the show, but in the first segment, before we get to that, I just wanted to thank our sponsor for this segment, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for concerts, sporting events, theater, any of the remaining three upcoming USC home football games. If you need them, just give them a call or check out sctickets.com.
2: Well, I tell you, it's a place to go and get your tickets, and I tell you, uh, they get good tickets, too. You can sit uh, right on the 50-yard line if you want to. and you just mentioned it. Only three home games. Romania, is that right? Crazy. Uh, it's crazy. I'm sort of in a depressed mood right now.
1: <laughs> you wait I all mean, that time. You wait all that time I'm, for football season, and then there's only three games left.
2: Three home games left. So if you're out there and you haven't been to a Trojan game, it's time you do so.
1: Yeah, definitely check it out. Well, one of the uh, home games that just occurred over the weekend, Coach uh, Arizona State comes in picked number two at Pac-10 Media Day to finish second uh, in the Pac-10. And, uh, you know, a warrior, at quarterback, Rudy Carpenter and Mark Sanchez, both uh, came out, you know, hobbled. He was obviously not 100%. He came out. Trojans really knocked him around a little bit. Uh, you know, they get the victory 28 nothing. I mean, a lot of – it wasn't – the thing was, it wasn't a very exciting game. This is Los Angeles, and you need some excitement. I mean, their first touchdown was a – Little QB sneak by Mark Sanchez. Uh, You know, a short run by Stephon Johnson. A a short pass to Damian Williams. The most exciting play was Kevin Thomas when he scored that touchdown. But it was boring for a, a good portion of that game. What did you take away from that game, Coach? Were you kind of a little disappointed they didn't put up more points?
2: Well, let me tell you. First of all, I love ugly wins. What I mean by that, you still accomplish your goal. You didn't look great offensively and defensively, and you look great. It was an exciting game, like the Fresno State game was a few years ago, or other games that were exciting, like the Stanford game last year. And you get the and you get the L. You got to be happy first of all with the W, and then you got to look at the performance of the players and the team and the team you're playing and everything, and then you break it down for there, from there. So, as far as I'm concerned it was, you can call it anything you want, ugly win, unexciting win, whatever you want to say, but it was a 28 thrashing of Arizona State, and what I mean by that, yes, the offense could have played better, and we'll get into that if you want to talk about that, but I don't think Arizona State would have ever scored a point on the way USC was playing defense, And, and they were playing great defense, there's always ways to improve on defense, we can talk about that if you want, but SC. the reason it was boring, you never had a feeling that Arizona State had a chance to win the game. And I think that's what, when people say boring, I think they were just so outclassed that you didn't sit back thinking that, oh, this is going to be a great game. But you really had the feeling they were never going to be in the game, dropping behind 21-0 and, and SC dominating the game. And when SC didn't dominate the game... And in parts of the game, offensively, it became a poor performance, and it was this, and it was that, and even myself on Sunday, I was negative on some of the things that in the play calling and so on. But when you look at the overall picture, you got to say, hey, if you beat a team twenty-eight nothing, impact ten in conference, it was a pretty good day. It might have been ugly. There's always ways to get better, but it was a big win, and I think that people, you know, when you sit back and the game really isn't a challenge, and you know you're going to win the game. You know you're going to win the game. Uh, I think the most exciting player what people talk about a lot is when you talk about different things. Just before half, it could have been 35 or what, 28 nothing. I think it could have been, uh, except uh, they threw three straight passes, if you want to talk about things such as that, before the end of the half, and then ran a fake field goal. And I think if Pete Carroll uh, rethought that, uh, you might have wanted to run the ball down there and uh, maybe kick the field goal and go in with the uh, four-score advantage. And if you think back a year ago, the momentum change in the Stanford game when USC went for it at the end of the half on fourth down and didn't make it and went in 10 nothing at half and gave a lot of enthusiasm to Stanford to come out and they picked off a pass and went back for a touchdown. All of a sudden, it was a football game. So I don't think you ever get denied uh, or should be denied on points. You didn't need a fake field goal there. You're dominating the game. You want to put the nail in the coffin. And if you can't score a touchdown, then take the points. That's, you know, that's what basically I saw.
1: All right. We're here with the coach Harvey Hyde here on the Peristyle podcast. Yeah, coach, it's the, the fake field goal. I mean, I guess you could go either way. I think he was trying to put a final nail in the coffin. They wanted to find a place where they could use that. Obviously, it didn't really work out all that well. And I I think part of the problem is that Garrett Green's not the normal holder. So you you put in a new holder, and uh, maybe that alerts the defense to something else is up. But, you know, we can talk about that. One of the positives you do want to take away from this game, there was so much negative talk on our message boards after after this game. I've never seen as much negative talk after a really a blowout shutout. I mean, you would think, okay, you scored enough points to win. You didn't let them score at all. What's the real you know negative coming from this? And you know we, we can talk about that offense the offensive woes a little bit. But the defense in the beginning of the game was a, it seemed to me even be a little shaky. They were kind of bending but not breaking. They would let the, the offense from Arizona State drive to maybe midfield and then they'd force them to punt, which could be part of the problem for the offense because they were on a, a long field all day long. But in that second half, it was almost like when you made them play, you know right away, uh, you know the, the offense would give Arizona State the ball in the you know in the off in the red zone basically in the uh, Arizona State red zone, and the defense just stepped up and wouldn't let them score. It was almost like that woke them up. Once they started getting Arizona State got good field position, the defense even played better.
2: No, and I agree with that. And and you know uh, Coach Carroll's philosophy on defense sometimes is the band, just keep the ball in front of you. No big no big plays. They don't have the ability to drive down the field and. And they're looking to see just how active Rudy Carpenter is and they're feeling it out and so on to see what their game plan is. And, you know, yeah, defensively I was a little disappointed, not that, not with the shutout, but I was a little disappointed that they didn't have more of a rush on uh, on the quarterbacks at Arizona State from the outside as far as from Griffin and Moore, as far as, you know, pushing uh, Carpenter back towards the middle where uh, the tackles would have a chance to make a play. The tackles really didn't get any push on the offensive uh, against the offensive line. But whenever they stunted and they brought Malaluga or somebody or a safety stunt or so on, they got to it. I was a little disappointed they couldn't get to him with a four-man rush and, and do that. But, you know, the defense scored a touchdown. They get turnovers. Uh, uh, they put the offense in positions where they should have scored more. And the offense, you know, had some turnovers and did some things that uh, were negative and the defense came up and played. I just wish that Brian on that last play of the game after Dennis Erickson called timeout and threw that fade route like in the corner, I just wish Brian would have run that back for a touchdown. I tell you, I would say set up the, slow down a little bit. Set up your blocks. Set up your blocks so you can cut back across the field. But uh, the young kid uh, made a nice run and they didn't get a score and they saved their shutout. It would have been too bad if, if they had lost their shutout in, in that situation. But the offense, you know, sputtered. I, get, I think that's the best way of saying it. And, and I hate to hear a young guy like Mark Sanchez, who's such a uh, quality person and such a great player. I said it on Sunday's Trojan Brunch show that we do. I said if I was Coach Carroll, I would have two security guards around him all the time, going to class with him, doing everything, in the evenings, I would put him in a safe, a safe <laughs> keep, let nothing happen to him, because he is such the big play guy at USC. You know, they're, they're being a little critical, and, and after the game, he was down, thought it was his fault, he had a poor day. Hey, he didn't have a poor day, really. He had a lot of passes dropped. He had a touchdown pass by Johnson dropped. I mean, they weren't running the ball very successfully, or, or so on. I don't want to get into all of that play calling stuff. I hate to be that way, but... But, you know, he puts so much pressure on himself. He's such a competitive guy that he blames himself if things don't go right. And, you know, it's not his fault that they're not able to run the ball uh, whatever they want, or, and they force it to, to him to play action pass and throw the ball and come up on these third-down conversions, which they're not doing very good at. Because on third-down conversions, you've got to make them really... They're playing the pass. They're playing the pass. That's why they need to draw a little bit more and do some things. And it's harder when you're double-teaming all your wide receivers who've been having a great year. And really, the tight end has disappeared in the offense for some reason this year. It, it, they have a feeling of what you're going to go to. When, you, when it's third-and-nine or third-and-seven or, or so on, and, you know, they're going to throw the football. So... Uh, I hate to see that pressure go on Mark Sanchez because he is such a competitive guy and a captain in his first year as a starter uh, that I don't, I don't think, I think people should stand up and say, hey, it wasn't Mark Sanchez. It was the rest of us who didn't play a great game, including all of us. Now, when I say all of us, I'm talking about coaches, everybody, because I just think that they sputtered offensively the entire game.
1: Coach, yeah, it's hard to run, play action when the run game isn't really moving the ball that well. And I think that was my biggest concern. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. They they weren't able to run the ball when you expect, you know, just pounding the ball here. It's first and ten. We're going to run and get six yards up the middle. No, they'd run and get nothing. It'd get stopped at the line. Stephon Johnson really didn't have any running room the whole game. Were you seeing that with an issue with the offensive line, or was it predictability? What was the problem that they couldn't run the ball in those kind of power situations?
2: Well, you know, I don't know if they believe in the run. And what I mean by that, I, I don't know if they sell the run as something, you got to get it, you got to have it, you got to do it. That's for one reason, okay, because they throw the ball a lot of times in short yardage situations. So they're, they've got to have a bread-and-butter play or plays that you teach that these are the plays we're going to run when it's short yardage or first down yardage, that we've got to get our six yards on or seven yards on. So far, that play to me has been the outside toss or the old student body right or student body left, which they run to the open side, which is harder to to do as far as uh, make it effective, but they've done it effectively. Now, Yes, every one of those don't break for a touchdown. But if you broke down the average of every one of those plays, I think it's unbelievable. I'd like to do that uh, just to find out exactly what that average is. Sure, they might just get three yards, or they run it to the short side of the field sometimes, which is very difficult to run, and they might get one yard. But if you watch Stephon Johnson and you look at McKnight's runs on those tosses and so on, uh, it's pretty effective. They're, they're pretty effective plays, and you've got to be able to run them, run them, run them, and then come off of your fake toss and run the ball up the middle, and then run the fake toss and throw the deep post or the slant off of it or the corner off of it or something where the corners don't know whether to come up or go back because the toss is a dominant play. So the guy comes out to stock block you and then runs by you. So, you know, you've got to establish a series, whatever that series is that your play-action pass is very dangerous. Now, the offensive line has also got to believe that these plays have got to work. Now, the power inside just hasn't worked. In fact, you know, there's been some clean plays, but there's been some plays that the back has done it all on their own by just being great, tremendous athletes as far as spinning and keeping their legs driving and going forward. There hasn't been, like, seams for these backs to find, which means the offensive linemen are getting off the ball – maintaining their block, and and, and everyone has the right person. They're in the free linebacker or somebody to to make the tackle. So, you know, I I think that the offensive line's got to grow up a little bit, and they've got to be believing in in the run. They've got to dominate the line of scrimmage. And really, I haven't seen them dominate it, you know, come out and, and, uh, you know, see see them like a breath you know like they should all eat garlic before the game <laughs> and, and, and come out you know and the defensive lineman says wow this is gonna be a long bad smelly game or something and, and and have that feeling you know what I mean
1: I, I hear it coach and we're here with the coach Harvey Hyde on the Peristyle podcast yeah we, I, that was a little disconcerting to me they did when they when it's third and two they almost feel like they have to throw the ball they're, they're not comfortable handing off to a, a you know a bigger back or anyone and just trying to get two yards, uh, be able to do that consistently with the much talent they have. You think that should be something they would be able to do. Uh, I guess the most, you know, we can get off the offense after one more here. The The worst part of the day obviously was that third quarter when they, they couldn't get out of their own side of the field Four straight turnovers. Like you said, not all of them were Mark Sanchez's fault. As a coach, when you see your offense kind of struggling like that coming out of halftime, what do you do to, to switch it up to try and stop that trend? I mean, they were just spiraling down and it just kept getting worse and worse.
2: Well, you know, first of all, I don't want my kids to be confused. I don't want them to be thinking about what their assignments are. I want them to be confident on what their assignments are and confident about the plays that are being called and confident about we can make yards with this. And you've got to have something that you go to that's your bread and butter that you say, okay, we come back out, we're going to smash-mouth them or we're going to run the football and we're going to get the yards and and make the first downs and do certain things that you really believe in and do. Uh, I haven't yet seen what that is as far as with the USC offense. I I don't know what their bread-and-butter series or whatever that might be. And I want all of our listeners to know I'm not being critical. I think Pete Carroll's the greatest coach in America, okay. I'm just being, when you ask me questions, as a coach sees it, on how I'm answering it. I think they've got to have something that we all know that is something that the other team fears. And fears that we've got to stop this or we can't beat this team. Now, obviously, it's a passing game and Mark Sanchez. I mean, I'd have to get into all of that. But you try to keep your players not confused you try to keep them basic you try to keep your formations basic you don't need to be cute and run motions and have splits and change your formations and substitute every down you got to let your players get a feel and get warmed up and, and say this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it because if the defense is 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 if i have better players than you and i'm calling the right plays and we have the right blocking schemes and my players are blocking the right people or running the right routes, and I'm calling the right routes against the coverages that are out there, and I'm better than you, then it should work. just makes sense. It should work, but you can't stop everything. So if you're doing this, I'm going to do that. So I think you've got to have something basic that you know that if they're doing this, we're going to do that, and so on, so your kids know what it is and feel good about it and they know that they can't stop you. But my players are better than your players. John McKay used to say, you know, this week we're going to Washington. Now you say, who's going to win, Coach, on his TV show? And he used to say, well, let me tell you, my X is bigger than your zero, and my zero is bigger than your X. So if we don't screw it up as coaches, we should win Saturday. And and I think keeping it simple and having the confidence and – don't put pressure on your players that you have to win by 50 points, but you have to execute. And you have to do it where there's a confidence that everybody knows what they do on certain assignments and so on.
1: All right, we're on the, this is the Peristyle Podcast. We're listening to the coach, Harvey Hyde, in our first segment. Coach, one last thing. I wanted to talk about that Washington State game coming up. Uh, it's a team that's struggling under first-year coach Paul Wolfe. I, mean, I think they gave up 63 points to three of their Pac-10 opponents so far. Uh, you know, giving up a lot of points. They've had all our quarterbacks injured, a lot of injuries throughout the team. Uh, I, I guess if the offense is struggling, one place you'd want to play, I guess, is up in uh, Pullman right now against Washington State.
2: Well, I don't know if the offense is struggling. I, I'm just saying they're going to go against a team that, you know, it's a very hostile house and so on. And the first thing that they have to do is take this as a, a serious game because the way you look at this, you can beat Arizona State and lose to Washington State, and you've you, you, you've you've done accomplished nothing. You can beat Notre Dame and lose to Washington State, and you've accomplished nothing. You've got to defeat everyone, and, and we have, I don't know how many quarters left of football, but we have a short period of time to accomplish a year-round goal. So it's just a game that's there that's as big as Notre Dame, it's as big as... Oregon State, if you play them again, it's as big as anyone. But you've got to be good enough to go up there and beat them without getting emotionally so high and so ready that you think it's the world's biggest game, which it isn't. It's a game that you can come back and have emotion for the games you really need that huge emotion for. Now, I hate to say it this way, they're a 42, 43-point favorite. I would think they would cover that. In fact, the only way I think SC would be an underdog in this game or lose this game is if everybody on the SC football team got that intestinal flu or virus or whatever it is that's <laughs> going over at SC. Okay? Yeah, the, you know, that's what would hap- have to happen uh, if they ate at that dorm or wherever that's happening. Because they're a better football team. They're, they This is a business trip. They should go up there and not struggle, but execute and do what they've done. These four quarters are no different than any other four quarters in any other game that they'll be playing the entire year. They'll never get them back. And people will evaluate them in this game. And this film will go around the country with different opponents that watch them play. And they'll say, hey, they're good, they're bad, they're whatever. So you go up there and you do what you have to do. To win this football game, play with emotion, execute, and be, and try to get better every week. You should get better every week during the football season. So their goal is to go up there and become a better football team this Saturday than they were last Saturday.
1: And, Coach, with the BCS rankings coming out this weekend, or I guess on Monday, you know, it's important. If you beat Washington State 28 nothing when everyone else is putting up 60 points on them, I don't know if that's going to help them, uh, you know, in the eyes of some of the pollsters. They, they really need to, to beat them and beat them soundly like the other teams that have gone up there and done.
2: They do need to do that, and I think that's something that's sad about the polls and so on because people say well, comparable scores and so on because those are good kids that are on the Washington State team. But, you know, there's ways of beating people that you don't run the score upon. There's ways of running the football and doing certain things and playing football where you're not running the score up. You're giving your kids a chance to execute and play, and those kids are playing at a at a, at a, at a level of competition that – Allows that to happen because you're not holding those kids back, and I don't think you should hold those kids back. They don't have a chance to play if you substitute. I think you've got to allow them. They deserve the opportunity to display their skills and play. You obviously feel bad about Washington State if this opportunity happens, but these kids want to get on tape. These kids want to show you what they can do. Look what look what Morton showed. Look what some of these substitutes have showed that have come on the game, come in and played now that since someone's been hurt so you you got to feel sorry for washington state but you've got to give your team the opportunity of going out there i understand you know Bilotti was upset with Munstain through the touchdown pass and and i guess wolf was upset this past weekend i guess someone threw a touchdown pass or did something up there um, this past weekend uh, against washington state when they got 63 or whatever it was but You know, you just got to look at it and say, we're just not good enough. Don't blame other people for your shortcomings. You've got to get through the season, get better players, keep your head up, and uh, move on.
1: 1230 on Saturday, USC travels up to the Palouse to play Washington State, a huge favorite, 42-point favorite. Coach, thanks very much for uh, helping us break down the game and talk about Arizona State, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Ryan. Everyone else, we have a really quick break and we'll come back with Dan Wykey of USCFootball.com talking about what's been going on in practice as the team gets ready for their trip up north.
0: The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com, SC Tickets, concert, Sports, and Theater. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back, everyone, with the second segment of the Parastyle Podcast, and as promised, we have USCFootball.com beat writer extraordinaire Dan Wyke. Dan, what's going on, man?
3: Hey, doing, Ryan? I'm doing. i um, everything is good.
1: Excellent, excellent. Yeah, he's getting ready for his trip up to Pullman, Washington. He's going to do this one Can't so. Wait. Yeah, up the Can't Palouse. Man. You've never been up the Pacific Northwest, huh, Dan?
3: No, I haven't. Um, well, I mean, Oregon. Doesn't that count? Corvallis?
1: Oh, that's true. Besides uh, this year, I mean. But, yeah, that's uh, it's a fun it's a fun trip. It takes a while to uh, to get there. It's pretty remote, and it's uh, Pullman's actually the sister city of Moscow, Idaho. So you can, if you've never been to Idaho, you can uh, add that. Check that one off your list of states you've been to.
3: I've been um I've been dying to get to Idaho and potentially buy like some sort of state shot class or something along those lines at a at a truck stop and I look forward to doing that. It's going to be an exciting trip, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. and If any listeners out there are going up to Pullman for the game, you definitely have to check out the Coog, which is the on-campus bar. A lot of uh, local character and stuff. It's a lot of fun in there. So I haven't been for years and years up there, but it was a good time. So hopefully everyone out there enjoys it.
3: I will be there Friday before um, the walkthrough. If anybody wants to come meet me for lunch, maybe buy me some food.
1: That's good. You can solicit <laughs> our our users on the website and listeners of the podcast to uh, you know, buy him a beer. He might talk your ear off, but you know, give, a, give him a chance. You, know, you can talk to Dan. You, you like listening to him on the podcast? Just listen to him in person. It's even better.
3: <laughs> I don't know about that.
1: All right. Well, Dan.
3: You can turn the podcast off, though.
1: We, yeah, I can. Uh, I can hang up on you where if you buy Dan a beer, I don't know if that's ever going to stop. So that's good. Uh, So just (laughs) proceed with caution. You've all been warned out there if you see Dan up at the Coug in Pullman, Washington. But Dan, um, you know, I I checked out your game stories. For the most part, everything was uh, pretty positive. I mean, there's obviously a lot of good things that came out of that game. Uh, But really, I mean, on on offense, I don't want to belabor this point, but there were some some definite struggles. Just get your overall thoughts on what happened there.
3: You know, it was weird. It was kind of that perfect storm of, you know, bad execution and bad luck um, at the same time. You know, you look at the three interceptions that Mark Sanchez threw, um, The you know, he underthrows Ronald Johnson. Um, ball gets hung up in the wind a little bit. Not bad luck, just a bad throw. I mean, he underthrew him. Um, then you look at the, the screen pass, that gets intercepted. Um, you know, they miss a block, and the defender who was supposed to be, you know, on the ground blocked is now directly in the passing lane. And, you know, I mean, maybe Mark should have looked a little bit more before he threw it. But, I mean, a screen pass is supposed to be quick. It's supposed to be snap, catch, throw. And, you know, and the guy was made a good play. He jumped it, and he was right there. And then the interception on um, uh, the Damian Williams drop, I mean, that's not really on Mark. And, you know, when is Damian Williams? I don't think we've seen him drop a pass in a game this year. And when he finally does drop, when he drops it right into, you know, an Arizona State defensive back, right into his hands. So, you know, those were those interceptions. Obviously, the sack from behind, um, the Dexter Davis sack. I mean, he he clobbered Mark. I mean, that was. I mean, that looked like a fumble three seconds before he hit him. You know, I mean, as soon as Dexter Davis came off the line, it looked like a fumble. Um, just with the, the the velocity of his rush. I mean, he he's a great pass rusher, and you know, if you you can't leave that guy unabated to the quarterback because he's going to hurt him, and and that's that's what happened. I mean, and those were those turnovers, and then, I mean, that third quarter was painful. To watch um, it was uh, I mean offensively um, the kind of the weird thing was then the defense was backed up and, and those offensive mistakes really kind of allowed the defense to shine and make some really big plays um, you know obviously feeling Malala dying an NCAA record by blocking two kicks in a quarter you know on consecutive you know on consecutive drives against not only it wasn't like he blocked two kicks but I mean Thomas Weber's like probably the best kicker in the country you know, or one of the best, and you you know you block you black that guy's kick twice. It was pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it was kind of a crazy game, and uh, I, I think some of what you said in the first part of your answer it points to the offensive line. And did you get to talk to uh, Coach Pat Rule or any of the offensive linemen? I mean, it obviously, wasn't their best game, at, you know, in the Cardinal Gold.
3: Yeah, I talked a little bit to some of those guys. Um, you know, it was just kind of one of those things. I mean, they they had to shuffle some guys around and play some different guys. Um, You know, Zach Heber being out. You know, they played Alex Parsons. They rotated some younger guys in. Derek Simmons got to play some. And, and, you know, I think that there were some issues with calls. Um, You know, a lot of it, I think, fell on the tight ends. I don't think did a very good job blocking. Um, You know, it was uh, the Dexter Davis sack. I mean, he beat Anthony McCoy, um, was blocking him. You know, and I I don't know if that was the plan, was to have Anthony McCoy, you know, single block a defensive end. But, you know, I mean, he ran right around him it was it was pretty i mean it was it was pretty quick <laughs> so um excuse me, so the offensive line you know it didn't didn't have their best game um you know, I think the feeling is is that this week that you know they're 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 shoring things up, you know they're uh they're really working on, on cause and execution this week and a, and a lot of the focus so far at least has been very internal as far as let's worry about the stuff that USC has to do and not worry so much at this point about what Washington state's going to try to do.
1: We're here with uscfootball.com beat writer here on the Peristyle podcast. Dan, you mentioned the tight ends and uh, last week uh, for our war room up on uscfootball.com. If people haven't checked that out, it's kind of our inside scoop on what's going along uh, inside the program. Uh, I actually put something in there when I talked to Brendan Carroll, the uh, tight ends coach, and my conversation with him kind of began, obviously there's been, you know, there's some drop-off in the production, you know, with not having Fred Davis around. And he stopped me right there. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, uh, you know, he wanted to make it clear that, yeah, they're not catching as many passes. You know, Fred Davis led the team in receptions <clears throat> and receiving yards and all of that. And, and they're hardly even thrown to anymore at the tight end position. But he was saying that last year, the tight ends would, the position would miss four to five assignments a game and this year they weren't doing that at all he was saying that you know they, they weren't missing any assignments even though it, it seemed a little fishy to me because Anthony McCoy was getting a holding penalty per game it, it seemed and he got another penalty I think it was a motion penalty or something in this game mm-hmm. against Arizona State and and you just said you know they missed the tight ends missed some blocks and the, the one that led to a, a turnover do you think I mean, what do you think there? Did you think the tight end position was playing well besides not catching the ball, or is, is there something else going on here?
3: Um, I think when, when you look at the lack of receptions, I think you can point not necessarily to, to you know, what they're doing. I mean, I haven't seen a tight end drop a pass. I mean, Anthony McCoy had drop issues, I guess, um, in the summer and then, you know, in the early parts of ball camp. But then, you know, I haven't seen him drop a pass in a game. You know, he played well against Virginia. Um Blake Hales has done some good stuff. He's he's done a good job blocking, I think, for the most part. Um, you know, but then I really think that the biggest reason why you're not seeing a ton of balls to the tight ends is because of them, the production of the wide receivers. I mean, they've been much better, much, much more solid. I mean, when you look at the, the three top guys right now, Patrick Turner, Damien Williams, and Ronald Johnson, I mean, those are three potential all pack 10 performers at this point. I mean, I think you have to look at those guys seriously. I mean, Rojo for his big playability. Damien Williams just for being a wonderful all around receiver. And Patrick Turner has developed into a very good possession receiver, especially kinda on the inside slot inside slant routes. And he's done some good stuff after the catch too, where he's made some guys miss and he's used his size well. I think that's probably more of a a reason why the tight ends have been caught balls than any other reason than you know, obviously you factor in the fact that Fred Davis was just a natural pass catcher. That was, you know, I mean, he was a guy who was recruited as a wide receiver. You know, I mean, I think that that's part of it, too. But I I really don't think it's been that big of a drop as far as in-game production, as far as, you know, I think they just figured out what they've had them do. You know, they have been a little banged up at tight end. Um, Red Allison is out. Jimmy Miller has been sick. So, you know, yesterday they moved ajon Harris to tight end from <laughs> defensive tackle. So I get a little choked up when I even think about that. I mean, <laughs> big big yeah, boy. DeJon Harris is uh, nicknamed Juicy. I, I, I'd i imagine for his resemblance to the uh, the late great rapper, the Notorious B.I.G. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, can you think about Notorious B.I.G. playing tight? You know, I mean, it, it, I shouldn't say that because Dajon Harris isn't that big. But, I mean, it's like, you know, he's a big guy. And he played in high school. I mean, he, he showed some things yesterday. I mean, he even caught a pass in seven-on-sevens. He said it was the first time he's done a seven-on-seven seven drill since high school. Wow. And, it, and you know, I mean, he looked, I thought, I mean, he looked moderately comfortable as far as, you know, it being his first day. But, I mean, it's, there are ways away from being able to use him, really. But, I mean, I think part of the reason they brought him over was to kind of help with the blocking. I mean, he's a big, huge guy you know, who can control the line of scrimmage.
1: All right. Well, nationally, Dan, let's uh, get away from the Arizona State game. I think USC kind of dodged a bullet where you don't play well and you still win 28 nothing. Didn't really hurt them in the polls at all because people will probably just check it out. Oh, okay. They won 28 nothing. No problem. Move on. Um, you know, up to number four in the coaches' poll, number six in the AP, number five in the Harris. I mean, they're right in that first tier of one loss teams. And I think set up pretty well. Uh, They asked me about this uh, yesterday. I did the NFL Network show, College Football Now. um, And I told them I think it's set up pretty well. I made actually a comment that, you know, Ohio State's a key team. If they can go out and beat a Penn State, not only does that make their win over Ohio State uh, look all that more important, but it knocks one of the teams that are ahead of USC right now. I got an email, I think it must have been from a Penn State fan who couldn't believe that I said that, saying that how could Penn State drop below USC when USC lost to Oregon State and Penn State killed them I'm like well I mean it it matters when you lose I, I you know I thought about this if the if if Ohio State goes on and beats Penn State and you know Penn State will drop below USC because USC is right behind them in the polls there's no doubt about it even though they killed the team that USC lost to but you know vice versa but if you move the game the, the time of those games to different parts of the year and USC lost to Oregon State later, and Penn State lost to Ohio State earlier, I mean, it would have been the same thing. Penn State would have been up ahead. So I think it's important that USC lost early. and uh, But now they really need to get some style points. Washington State's a great place to do that. In your opinion, Dan, do you think it's almost necessary that they win by five, six touchdowns? Because everyone else, even mm-hmm. bad teams, are beating Washington State that badly.
3: You know, I don't think that it's incredibly necessary. Um, I think the biggest thing is you come out of the game healthy. I think that's obviously what you what you need. To, I mean, you need to win, obviously. And I think that to, to, to approach this game, like, I think there'd be the wrong thing for you to go up there and think that they need to win by 40 points because, you know, they've proven in the past they're vulnerable in these situations. I know Washington State isn't a very good team, um, and that's maybe things mildly. But, I mean, what was the consensus thought about Stanford last year? Were they a very good team? You know, what was the consensus about? You know, Oregon State this year were they a very good team? I mean, you know, I, I think USC has proven that when they're on the road in these situations, or not necessarily even on the road, but when when they're these when they're huge huge favorites, that you know at times they've been you know a little lax, and I think that that's what they're really showing up on this week is that they're making sure that they're they're focused. Um, you know, as far as style points go, I think that that's part of it. I think. The most important thing, though, like I said, is that you can't do anything that would jeopardize yourself down the road. I think, you know, I think it would be important in this game to to kind of see what some of these, especially if you can get out to a quick start, which I think is crucial. I think, you know, you want to get out to a fast start because then you can do things like you can rest Mark Sanchez, You can, especially with there not being a bye week coming up anytime soon. I mean, you can rest these guys, and you can play guys like Roger Green and Mitch Mustaine and, and you know, Trayvon Patterson and Tyron Smith and, Armand Armstead, and, you know, Jordan Campbell, Malcolm Smith. I mean, these are the guys that I think that, that you really want to see a lot of in this game because that would mean that USC is taking care of business with their first stringers, and they're able to kind of move past it and, and, and kind of, you know, do what they're supposed to do, do their job, get out to a quick lead, and then kind of kind of take the take the Saturday off and, and let's see what some of the younger guys can do. Um, as far as the poll goes, what you're saying about Penn State, I, I mean, obviously I think Penn State – has a great chance to run the table. Um, I think they're a very dangerous team. I think that they probably ought to be top undefeated teams right now in the country. I think they probably have the best shot to stay undefeated. Um, But yeah, you're right. I mean, timing is everything. And, and, you know, that's why this isn't a perfect system. I mean, it's impossible to quantify. I mean, you know, which loss is better, which loss is worse. I mean, on paper, obviously, uh, Penn State lost to Ohio State, you know, an Ohio State with Beanie Wells, and Ohio State with Terrell Pryor playing the whole game, you know, would certainly look better on paper than a USC loss to Oregon State. That being said, I mean, you know, USC right now is, I would say, the top one-loss team in the country, and I think if Penn State joins the ranks of one-loss teams, I think that USC would still stay ahead of them. I think that just from reputation, from overall talent, for what the way... the USC bought us up a lot a lot of credibility with the way that they just dismantled Virginia and Ohio State early in the season on national television. I think that th- those games, I mean, everybody knows is bad. I mean, even though Virginia went out and beat East Carolina last week, which is uh, kind of an under-the-radar win. Um, but, you know, I mean, everybody knows that USC is capable of looking like the best team in the country because for those two games they did. And I think that, that a lot of voters saw those games, a lot of coaches saw those games, and, and that'll help influence where they put USC in the polls. I mean, I was surprised that USC jumped all the way to four in the coaches' poll. Um, you know, and I think part of it probably has to do with the fact that the Arizona State game was only regional, and, you know, not everybody got to see it. And, you know, when people did see it, they just saw highlights. And, I mean, and and you look at the score and you say, oh, wow, Rudy Carpenter played, and it was 28 to nothing. and, you know, the defense did its job, and they'll show Kevin Thomas returning an the interception. They'll show feeling wild, blocking a couple kicks. They'll show, you know, Stephon Johnson running in, you know, after a big Joe McKnight run, and then, you know, boom, you know, USC looks like they rolled. I mean, that game, it wasn't like that. And, um, you know, I was, I was really kind of surprised that they jumped that much. But, you know, when you look at the teams that lost, obviously, I mean, that's college football now. I mean, teams in the top five are, are, are going to fall. They always do. And I think, you know, probably this week, you know, you could see another team in the top five loose. All
1: right. We're talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Whitey here on the Peristyle podcast. Dan, you got to hear. And sorry some... to interrupt you,
3: Ryan, but that was just a taste for anybody who wants to meet me at the Coug of how I, how I can go off on a tangent. That that was a, what that
1: that's was. what we call a brief Dan Wiecki answer. The 10 minute answer. <laughs> that's a uh, very, very brief. Um, <laughs> Dan and, and he had to interrupt me after he was he did talk for about ten minutes and he had to interrupt me right away, which is good. Uh, you got to hear from Coach Wolf, uh, Paul Wolf from uh, Washington State, uh, this week on his little um, press conference there. What does a guy say when his team is as bad as it is? Yeah, they've had a lot of injuries, and they you know obviously it's a new coach. This is his first time at the uh, Division One A level. What kind of stuff does he say? I mean, they're they're not just losing; they're getting destroyed by everybody.
3: He didn't sound happy, um, you know. I think he uh, he sounded. You know, they're in a position right now. They're just trying to do the best they can. They're they're grasping at. You know, they're probably not in a position to grasp at at, at any time here pretty soon. So, what they're just they're just looking to play well. Um, you know, they're keeping things respectable. Um, you know, they're they think that you know. I thought the one thing that I thought was interesting was you know I asked him plank, plank, like you know are you are you, gonna, are you guys going to look at the Stanford and Oregon State games and use those, um, you know, as far as, you know, maybe talking to your players about, you know, look, you know, anything can happen, you know, we can shock them just like these two teams shocked them. And he said, you know, yeah, we haven't yet, but, you know, we might. And he's like, I believe anything can happen, you know, which is kind of like, okay, I believe that we can win. And he keeps going, he keeps on the answer a little bit, and then he talks about how he believes that if his players believe that anything can happen, they can go out they can play well, and they can be in the game and I thought him they like, okay, so best case scenario at this point for you is if your players go out and and, and believe that they can do anything, you know they can be in the game uh, I was kind of surprised that he didn't say, you know, you know we can maybe steal this, you know, and I mean, I think you know he's uh he, obviously the expectations have been lowered um for what they're gonna do this year. I mean you know they haven't been able to beat you know i uh a uh, bowl subdivision team yet. Um, you know their, their only win came over Portland State. Um, it's uh, they're in a, they're in a weird position. I mean, obviously, you know when you've got when you're in transition and you're changing guys and you've had to change quarterbacks and you've had to, you know, go to the Fred houses you know in Pullman and say, hey, can anybody throw a football? We need a scout team quarterback. All this stuff. I mean, it, it's it's been tough on him, I'm sure. And he sounded. He sounded a little worse from the way. Like I mean, considering when when you know we saw him at Pac-10 Media Day, and he was kind of, you know, he's an upbeat guy. I mean, He's a former lineman. He's former football player. A little bit of a rah-rah type guy. He he didn't sound like that um, Tuesday. <laughs> so like <laughs> he's you know maybe maybe gone gray a little bit or something like that.
1: Yeah, I understand. Well, it's got to be tough, but I, I think they'll turn it around up there. I mean, they can. I don't think it's a team that can consistently win, but you know, they, in the past they've been able to. Every four years or so, pop up and have a really a really good team. You get a good recruit or two in there and turn things around. But it's it's gonna. I think it's gonna get a little bit worse, unfortunately, for uh, Coach Wolf up there before it gets better. Especially with USC coming in this weekend.
3: Yeah, no. I mean, all signs point to this just being a bloodbath. I mean, <laughs> really, there's a you know you, you, even even USC coming in nicked up. It still to me doesn't it doesn't look it doesn't look good for them. I mean, you know, you look at the way that USC played last week, um, and kind of how they, at least this year, they haven't put together two bad games in a row offensively. You know, when they've struggled offensively, that they've come back the next week and look sharp. Um, like when they struggled against Oregon State, you know, they come back and they play fantastic offensive football against Oregon. Um, you know, obviously, then they struggled a little bit offensively against Arizona State. I would anticipate that they play fantastic offensive football against Washington State this Saturday. Um, you know, I mean, you want to look at some of these injuries. I think that they can affect what USC can do. Obviously, I think the biggest injury question i mark at this point in time is Joe McKnight. I mean, can Joe, is Joe going to be able to play? Well, if he doesn't play, that just means more, more like, maybe a more streamlined system with C.J. Gable and Stephon Johnson, guys who I think should be able to run, you know, against Washington State. I, I think that this is the right week to get those guys healthy.
1: All right. Well, he's Dan Wykey. He's our USCFootball.com beat writer, and he joins us on the podcast just about every week. Thanks very much for your insights this week, Dan. Thanks, Ron. Everyone else, stay tuned. We have a very short break for you. And then coming up, a very special guest former USC Trojan cornerback Daryl Rideau will join us. Stay tuned.
0: You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.
1: Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Peristyle Podcast. We have a very special guest to end the show this week, former Long Beach Polly Jackrabbit and former USC Trojan quarterback, Daryl Rideau. Daryl, how are you doing today?
4: Uh, Great. uh, Enjoying the opportunity to join you on this podcast today.
1: Oh, thanks very much. I I get to enjoy uh, Daryl's company, usually Saturday mornings over there at the Coliseum when he does the uh, pregame show. He usually has me on for a segment or so every once in a while. Hope you have fun when I get to come over there, Daryl.
4: Absolutely. And uh, I get to pick your brain, too. So the feeling is mutual. And, um, you know, this game, this past game was a little interesting. It's kind of a tale of two sides, depending on which perspective you want to look at it, whether the glass was half full or half empty. I'd like to think it was half-full being a defensive player, a fond um, opportunity to really watch this Trojan defense get after the quarterback.
1: Now, speaking of the defense, obviously they played really well. They got the shutout first one since uh, last year against Notre Dame in South Bend. Um, I think one of the the aspects of the defense, and you'll probably be able to talk really well about this, is being a defensive back. Uh, USC hadn't been getting the same amount of turnovers that they have in years past the last couple of years, I guess you could say. Uh, but the secondary really played well in this game. Um, you got, you know, Kerry Harris picking balls off. Obviously Kevin Thomas returned that one for a touchdown. What have your thoughts been on the defensive backs played and to be able to, and their ability to create more turnovers?
4: You know, if there was one area that you can definitely say that has been a vast improvement, you'd have to say it is the secondary, led by those two stout safeties and Taylor Mays and Kevin Ellis. But it's the play of the cornerbacks that uh, Coach defensive back coach Rocky Seto and Pete Carroll have really been just going Google over. Uh, they're so deep and very athletic that it really allows his defense to play a lot more man coverage. And despite losing Sharice Wright uh, due to the neck injury, we're seeing the likes of a Kevin Thomas and even the freshman T.J. Bryant get some serviceable minutes in games at critical times. But it's the ability of Kerry Harris and Josh Pinkert early in games to play man coverage that allows that front seven to really dial up some blitzes and get after the quarterback. So I really think that the improvement of the defense is the play, the physical and athleticism of the USC secondary that's that really pitched the shutout of uh, this past game.
1: Yeah, and you saw TJ Bryant actually talked with Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment about that play. He was a little uh, he was a little miffed that T J Bryant didn't kind of wait and set up his blocks on that final play of the game where he intercepted the pass. What did you What did you think of that play? It looked like he had four blockers in front. There was like only one guy to block, and somehow he still didn't score.
4: Yeah, it was kind of one of those scenarios where I think he surprised himself that he actually got an interception and let alone uh, had an opportunity to run it back for a touchdown. It's just one of those situations where he got a little too impatient, and had he have allowed his blockers to really uh, set up and develop in front of him, I think that there was an opportunity for a cutback and maybe an opportunity to score. And it might have been one of the longest returns for freshmen in years past. Uh, you know, I can't remember a, a USC freshman having that type of uh, success uh, returning the interception.
1: Yeah, Coach Harvey Hyde said the same thing. He said he needed to wait for his blocks and uh, make that cutback move. Did you ever have, were you ever a situation like that where you kind of intercepted a ball or picked up a fumble and, and kind of outran your blockers a little bit?
4: 2002 versus Notre Dame, I had the, op- the very uh, similar opportunity where I intercepted a pass, and while running back, I ran into uh, Omar Nazel, and had I just been patient and allowed Omar to get in front of me, I might have uh, made my way to the end zone, so I, trust me, as a, defend- a defensive back, your your two goals are to not give up the deep ball, and when you get an, uh, an interception, try not fumbling that interception, so converting to a running back is something that isn't comfortable for us.
1: Yeah, he, I mean, he looked pretty smooth bringing that kick back, and everyone was so excited for him on the sidelines. So that was definitely good to see. And, of course, it preserved the uh, shutout, which the defense well deserved after everything they went through in that game. One other defensive back topic I wanted to bring up, and actually chatted to you about this a little bit on the sidelines there at USC. Um, Kevin Ellison, when you have a safety making that many tackles, sometimes it can be a, sort of a red flag. It means the people in front of them aren't doing the same kind of job. But you had some really good thoughts on what Kevin Ellison was doing. I wanted to see if you could share those with everybody.
4: Yeah, not since Troy Palomalo have we seen a safety at USC be so effective around the line of scrimmage. And that's the way that USC is utilizing the, the talents of of Kevin Ellis. So in some regards, it may appear as though he's making too many tackles, but by the nature and the the design of the coverages that uh, defensive coordinator Nick Holt are running, He's in, the intentions are for him to make plays at the line of scrimmage. They're running what they call an under front, which puts the strong safety at the line of scrimmage. And when doing so, that allows him to position himself to make plays unaccounted for inside the box. And now when we say inside the box, what we're referring to is how many guys, how many defenders are in between the two tackles. And most, uh, in most counts, it's seven. It's your four down linemen, two line, or three linebackers. And now when you bring the eighth man in the box, the strong safety, Kevin Ellis, in this regard, he's unaccounted for in, in, in most situations, which allows him to have one-on-one with the ball carrier.
1: All right, we're with uh, Daryl Rideau, former USC cornerback, and you can hear him on the uh, 710 ESPN on uh, USC radio here on the Parastel podcast. Daryl, um, what is it going through a defensive player's mind when you see like what happened on the th- in the third quarter when the, the USC offense continually turns the ball over and, uh, and, and gives the opposing offense a short field?
4: Well, when you're having as much success and it looked like the USC defense was having a great deal of fun being out there, you, you, you see yourself as a separate entity of the offense, a standalone entity. And in some cases, when you're a young team, there can be a negative effect, to seeing turnovers, but when you're having success and you're getting after the quarterback and you're high-fiving guys who are sacking the quarterback and causing turnovers, you relish and relinquish the opportunity. You relish the chance to, to get back out on the field and get the ball back for the offense. So in that regard, I don't think that the defense was negatively affected by the turnovers. I think they recognize that Mark Sanchez, was a little rusty having sat out several practices due to the injury that he, um, that occurred in the Oregon game. So it really didn't affect this veteran uh, group of defenders. However, on the road, that may be a different question because when you're playing on the road, you're really not feeding off the emotions and energy of the crowd. And defenses typically feed off the energy of the crowd. Whereas the offense really wants to calm things down and, and try to manage the game.
1: Yeah, it looked like to me the defense almost enjoyed the fact that they had like a bigger challenge. You know, like oh yeah, okay, now we got the Arizona State has the ball in our twenty. Let's let's put a stop to it. And obviously, feeling a while of breaking through and busting up two field goal attempts had to be a huge lift for the defense.
4: Yeah, Ryan. And keep in mind that this year is a little different than years past, simply because the play clock has been reduced and. Immediately following the play, the uh, officials are now told whether the play is inbound or out of bounds to roll the clock. So that means that plays are starting to be reduced, where we've become accustomed to seeing USC have maybe 58 to 65 plays a game. Now they're having anywhere from 48 to 53 plays a game. So... The, any chance the defense gets an opportunity to get back on the field, they they want to take advantage of those reps because they're starting to come few far in between.
1: All right, on defense, obviously there's a lot of senior leaders. On offense, the leader is obviously Mark Sanchez. Uh, he's been playing hurt most of the year. I just want to get your thoughts on what his. What do you th- look to him as a leader? What do you think of him leading this USC team?
4: You know, many people talk about he, that he's an emotional leader, maybe even uh, the emotional leader of this team, and the team seems, the USC's team seems to go as Mark Sanchez goes, but I would like to take it a step further. I think it's his pocket presence, his ability to move around in the pocket to create time, and his vision down the field is something that this, this USC offense has lacked since Matt Leinart uh, departed uh, to the NFL. His ability to go through his natural progressions and have the foresight to see down the field and hit a Ronald Johnson or a Damian Williams on the run is something that is something to marvel about because this is a guy whose potential we've yet to see his true potential. You know, he's only started he started less than one season if you account for the three games that he started last year and and the and, uh, you know, the five or six games leading up to this season's. I think that once USC gets into the heart and the teeth of their schedule, we're really going to see this offense gelling and gain a rhythm, and that rhythm lies with the health of Mark Sanchez. If he is able to stay healthy, this offense is very capable of putting up uh, po- uh, prolific numbers.
1: All right. Here's Darryl Rideau, former USC cornerback. Daryl, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us today and sharing your insights. It's always good to hear from you, and we'll hopefully – Get you on again. Where can uh, Trojan fans hear you on the radio when uh, they want to hear what's going on?
4: You can tune in game day, uh, a a part of the 17 ESPN pregame show, but also a recap on Sunday mornings from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on 17 ESPN Sunday morning Trojan brunch.
1: Yeah, with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, who we have on all the time, too. So you like working with him? Absolutely.
4: Yeah, it's it's a barrel, especially (laughs) working with Coach and uh, Mark Willard. You know, jockeying for time and position is something. And I make sure that I strap it up like Coach spat up and uh, and put the mouthpiece in and get ready to play.
1: Yeah, sometimes I ask Coach a question, and it goes on for about three minutes. So, yeah, I can, I can see you got to get skillful in being able to interrupt him sometimes. Absolutely. Sweet. Well, Daryl, thank you very much for joining us. No, no problem. Thank you, Ryan. All right, everyone else, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Parastyle Podcast. Enjoy the game on Saturday, and everyone be safe.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.